see, you guys are the brave ones, brave in the weather. You're awesome. Everybody get here safe? Obviously you did. Glad you're here. We talk about uh, occupying our street, and this week um, is cool because uh, Kyle's going to talk to us about our God who forgives. And it being Valentine's Day, uh, today, men, it's Valentine's Day. If you didn't know that, we could talk later. Every Valentine's Day, I'm forced to evaluate how uh, well I'm loving my wife. And so forgiveness is a perfect topic for me for the morning. But it makes me think, um, when I think about occupying my street, every one of us who has been saved by Jesus has a story of forgiveness to tell. So when you're occupying your street, when you go out and live your life, your everyday life, tell your story with your life of how Jesus forgave you. Because you have that story for a reason, and it's going to affect somebody. Uh, right now, Mark Klein's going to come up, and he's going to give us a, 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 an update on our missionaries for our missions offering next week. Well, every, every quarter we do an uh, offering for our missionaries we support. And on the next slide here, we've got four missionaries that we support right now. Uh, Sibab and Sukon in Uganda, we supported for a number of years. Micah, Naomi, Tuttle in Peru on the top right that we supported for a number of years. Uh, and then we've had two newer couples that we've added this past year. I think it's really great that we have that opportunity to invest um, prayerfully and financially in some younger, less established missionary couples out there and really be a part of their growing ministry from the ground up. And Dan and Georgiana Akins from Romania, they're going to be here uh, in a couple of Sundays in the evening for a special concert because they're accomplished musicians as well as a missions report. So their band's called The Ineloquent, but they're also missionaries in Romania. And so come Sunday night in a couple of weeks to hear from them. And then Matt and Trista Deaver. And I got a few more slides to show. Uh, with Micah and Amy Tuttle in Peru, one of the things they're working on right now is finishing up building a Bible school down in Peru. And another missionary from Bolivia has joined Micah to teach with him there. And uh, also Micah's heart is to just go out and preach the gospel everywhere. They recently took a trip down the Hualaga River, down to several jungle cities for conferences, and, and preached the gospel. Um, so now on the next slide here, Matt and Trista Deaver, I want to highlight them again, and I've got a few things to show here. Just to remind you, it's what we call in the 1040 window. I don't know if you've heard that before. I've mentioned it once before, but it's this rectangular box in that section of the world between 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees latitude, where these countries, these people groups, are the least reached people groups with the gospel in the world. And so they're strategically, they're strategically, so what they're doing there, they're learning the language. So just pray for them that they would be able to learn the language quickly, and they're, they're reaching out and meeting people, and just that the Lord would bless that. And one of their visions for their ministry is to provide clean water because he said the two biggest needs there are clean water and jobs for the people. So eventually they'd like to set up a water distribution plant to provide people jobs and clean water. So in our uh, offering this last quarter, we were able to send uh, $2,000 to the project for clean water there. And he sent an email this week that says, I'm planning to buy 62 Sawyer water filters with the money Creekside gave for that last year. Sawyer's doing a deal 
this year for international workers, buy one, get one free. That means the $2,000 you guys donated will result in 124 filters getting put in the hands of 124 families in Nepal. This will result in better health and opportunity to show and tell of the love of Jesus. Yeah. And, and it's neat, it's kind of at the beginning of a year like this, to just reflect on the goodness of God and all he's done through us this last year. We started promoting these offerings this last year after not doing that for a few years. And our offerings on average doubled from about $1,200 a quarter to $3,000 each time. So praise the Lord for that. With that funds, we were able to do several things last year. Besides sending some regular gifts to our four missionary groups, uh, we also sent $1,100 to two different organizations to help with the earthquake relief effort in Nepal. And we were also able to send $1,000 to Many Hands for Haiti based out of Pella, Iowa, who we're kind of connected with because in the fall each year we send a missions team down to Haiti to minister to the poor down there. And if you're at all interested in being a part of that missions trip, uh, see Bob Vaughn, who's the missions trip leader, and he needs to hear from you right away because we need to make early plans for that. And that's in November. So talk to Bob or I about that if you're interested. I'm going to pray for the offering that we're going to take next week and just commit our morning to the Lord and our offering to the Lord. Heavenly Father. Psalm 51 today, so go ahead and open your Bible to Psalm 51. Uh, I will go ahead and read it as you turn there. Here's what it says. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and, and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then the bowls will be offered on your altar.
Uh, this obviously is Valentine's Day, but this passage is probably, well, it's really more about adultery. I don't know if that really goes along with Valentine's Day all that much, but that's where we're going to be in Psalm 51 today. Uh, so it is a, probably my favorite psalm, because this, this is the psalm of David. And let me give you uh, uh, the backstory of it. Uh, it's probably one of the most famous stories of confession, passages of confession in all the Bible. And it comes from a very familiar story. It's the story of David and Bathsheba. And, and what has taken place is David, who is the king of Israel, has seen Bathsheba bathing on the roof. He's lusted after her. He's had an affair with her. And now she's pregnant. And so to cover his sins, he's trying to think, okay, what do I do? Well, he, Uriah was in battle. He brings Uriah back, hoping uh, that they would sleep together and, you know, thus to hide his sin, but Uriah refuses, okay? If my, my friends are in battle, I'm, I'm not going to do this thing. And so, to cover it, David then sends him back into battle and has him placed really at the front of the line, right, where he knows Uriah is probably not going to make it. And indeed, Uriah dies. And so now David thinks he's covered his sin, he's taken care of it, right? Nobody's going to know that he's, he's, he's committed this, this adultery with Bathsheba. Nobody's going to know that he sent Uriah to the front of the battle lines to be killed. But the prophet Nathan shows up, and Nathan tells him a story. Nathan says to him, let me tell you this story. It's a story about a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man has all these sheep and these cattle, and the poor man just has one little lamb. And this little lamb offers, you know, substance for them. It's really, it, it says in the story, really like become like his daughter to this poor man. And so a guest comes to town and the rich man, who doesn't want to use his own sheep and cattle, instead goes and he takes the poor man's little lamb and uses that as the meal to provide for his guest. And Nathan asked the question to David, so, so David, what would you do? And David is furious, he's angry, and he says, well, surely that man must die. And Nathan, and probably the greatest application of any sermon, any message ever given, he looks at David and he says, David, you are that man. You are that man. And all at once, David realizes his sin. David realizes what he has done. Not, not only sin committed against these guys, but this grievance against God. And so this morning, as we look at this great prayer of confession found in Psalm 51, this, this is what I would say to you. You are that man. This is you. And what we need to realize, if we want to live a life of a whole life, a full life, a life of forgiveness, we need to understand what David understood here in Psalm 51. When confronted by Nathan, David realized some incredible things that changed his entire life. And so as we look at Psalm 51, we want to see it. And we want to realize the same things that David did. So Psalm 51, I, I, I could spend weeks here in Psalm 51. We're looking at about four or five verses of the 19 today. We could probably spend a month going through this. This is a powerful psalm. I would encourage you to go back, read through it, study it. But if you want to know, if you want to know what it is to live a life, a whole life, a, a life of uh, for, forgiveness, a, a life of really confession, th this is it. This is what we find here. Now, 
we, we, know, we know a couple things. We know that at some point in our life, we're probably going to face crisis. We're, we're going to face brokenness, struggles, whatever. As we seek to live, if I tell you there is a way in which you can put your life back together, there is a way in which you can find for forgiveness for the things that you've done, the mistakes that you've done, there is a way that you can do it. And it's found here in Psalm 51. So uh, let's go. There's a few things I, I want to show you this morning. Uh, three main points from Psalm 51. We're going to look at our past. We're going to look at profession. And we're going to look at power. And there's the three things I want to note as we live and we seek to live this type of life. Uh, the type of life where we can find forgiveness. The type of life where we can put the pieces back together. The type of life that can be that whole and abundant and full life that Jesus speaks about. These are the keys. Okay, so let's look at it. The first one we're going to look at is the past. So looking at verse 5, I'm going to skip around a little bit, but we're going to be in verse 5 to start. Here's what he says. David says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me the wisdom in that secret place. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. It's easy to look at that verse and, and read it and just assume well, okay, David's mom, you know, he's conceived in sin, whatever, this is what's taking place. But what, what David is trying to get at and what he wants us to realize is that for him, he didn't commit the sin when he murdered, well, he did, when he committed adultery, but what David realized here is that yes, he committed murder, yes, he committed adultery, but the truth that he understood is that he was always this way. He has always been like that. It wasn't just when he murdered or he committed adultery, but he has been that way since birth, all his life. Uh, David, Derek Kidner, who has a great commentary on the Psalms, he says this, this is a quote from uh, his commentary. He says, this crime of murder, David now sees, was no freak event, but instead was in character. It was an extreme expression of the warped person he had been since birth. Yes, he committed adultery. Yes, he committed murder. But what David realized when confronted by Nathan is that he was always this way. I've always been this. I had this sense of sin, this element. And, and this is a tough concept because it, it looks harsh, right, when we compare murder and adultery to the sins of our youth. Right, kids making fun of each other or whatever. But one thing we realize as people, if we study Psalm 51, or we study other passages in the Bible, we understand the truth that David understood, that there's really no difference in the sin we commit, murder, adultery, or these other youthful sins. He realized that, that the Bible tells us there, there is no one good, no, not one. And this is a tough concept for many people in the world today. If you would uh, our, our small group is going through the book Counterfeit Gods right now. And the book Counterfeit Gods, uh, we didn't meet this week, and I, this is really just me wanting to prove that I actually read it to my small group members here. But uh, there's a couple quotes in it, and, and it's, it, it's talking about this truth. And it says, European intellectuals in the late 19th century and early 20th century became largely convinced of Rousseau's view of the innate goodness of human nature. Of course, World War II shattered this illusion. Some quotes from it. 
Beatrice Webb said, somewhere in my diary, maybe 1890, I wrote, I have staked all on the essential goodness of human nature. Now, 35 years later, I realize how permanent are the evil impulses and instincts in man, how little we can count on changing some of those. H.G. Wells, in 1920, in his book, Outline of History, he praised human progress, saying we are becoming better. 25 years later, he wrote the book, A Mind at the End of Its Tether, and in it, he says, Homo sapiens, as we have been pleased to call, is played out. And he talked about, really, the evil nature of mankind. And this is what David realized. Nathan confronts him. Nathan comes to him with this, and he tells him, he helps him realize, yes, I've murdered, I've sinned, but David's understanding and realization for his own life is I have always been this way. See, it's not the murder, it's not the sin, but it's, it's who I am. And one of the things we must realize is, is talking about our past is we, as Nathan says to David, you are that man. Just like David, you have the same capability and capacity to sin as David did. You know, David was referred to as a man after God's own heart. Yet we see this. If we look at our own lives, for us to live this type of life, we, we must understand that we have the same capacity to sin that David did. And he realized it. You, you kind of think of it almost like a, a seed here, where you know, if I've got a handful of seeds, I may place them in different places, but given the right soil, given the right sunlight, given the right water, it's going to bloom, right? All of us have that same capacity that David had, and given the right circumstances, we too could sin as David did. That's, you know, some of us would be like, you know, Kyle, there's no way I'd ever murder someone. There's no way I'd ever commit adultery, right? We'd never do these things. But one thing we must understand, as David finally understood, it took him to this point in his life to understand this, but I have the capacity to sin that way. And given the right circumstances, if everything played out right, and the chances are in our, our lives here and everybody in this room, that's not going to happen. But given the chances, given the circumstances were right, we have that capacity unless we fully understand, as David finally understands here in Psalm 51. David tells us we are born in sin, this self-centeredness, and he's not, listen, he's not minimizing, he's not saying murder or adultery is not that bad. He just wants us to understand that we all, as he finally understood, we all have the capacity and capability to do what he has done. So the first thing we must understand is basically this past, that we are capable of a lot worse, and we are capable of cruel things, and we must get out of denial. This is the first thing we want to understand. You are that man. You have that capacity. Okay, if we want to live this type of life that David finally lays out, this life of confession, this life where we've admitted our guilt, we want to live a new a life, a life that once was broken, want to be fixed and made whole. To live that type of life, the first thing we must understand is our past. Uh, second thing we want to know, and it would be, we talked about past, the second one is profession. And I'm going to look at Psalm 51.4 here. Psalm 51.4, the second portion of Psalm 51.4. It says, I have done what is evil 
in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. I'll read it again. I have done what is evil in your sight, and you are right in your verdict, and you are justified when you judge. Two things I want us to notice as we read through Psalm 51 4 as we talk about this idea of profession. Basically, this idea of profession, this declaration, this belief system. Here's what we notice one, we need a full, clean confession of sin. A full, clean confession of sin. I'm going to talk about what that means here in a second. And the second one is a deep heart renunciation of sin. Okay? If we want to live this type of life. A full, clean confession of sin, a deep heart renunciation of sin. Now, as we talk about this idea, these two concepts, uh, they kind of work together here. And we see there's, if you would look, there's a kind of repentance that, that it looks like true repentance, right? Somebody is broken, they're hurting, they're crying, they're emotional, they've made a mistake, but it's not true repentance. True repentance happens only, as we see here in Psalm 51, only when we have a full, clean confession of sin and a deep heart renunciation of sin. It's not just about feeling bad about something. Right? I've done something, I was caught, I feel bad, I'm in tears, I'm emotional. That's not what we're talking about, because that is not true. That is not uh, true repentance. True repentance happens when, one, we understand our past, and two, we have a full, clean confession of sin and a deep heart renunciation of sin. Here's what I mean by those two things. The first one is a full, clean confession of sin. Uh, verse 4, I have done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict, and you are justified when you judge. David here is taking full responsibility for his sin. Right? He looks at it, he's confronted by Nathan with his sin, and he says, you know what? I've done. I've done evil in your eyes. I have made this mistake. Now, here's what happens a lot of times with many people. Unlike what David, who takes full responsibility for his sin, many people are quick to either minimize or rationalize their sin, or blame other people. Here's what I mean by that. To rationalize or minimize your sin. Uh, take someone maybe who would look at, at something like David and say, you know what, I'd never commit adultery. You know what, I may look at pornography, but I'd never commit adultery, right? Well, if you remember when I spoke two weeks ago and Jesus talking about the Ten Commandments and almost his meditation on the Ten Commandments was the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, hey, you lust after a woman, you committed adultery. And, and it's important for us to know that, again, that capacity is there. Same thing, maybe, you know, I've never stolen, uh, I've never done that. I may have lied a little bit, but it actually, it didn't hurt anybody, it didn't, you know, it just didn't, it avoided confrontation, all of this. We have a tendency to rationalize or minimize our sin. What David is doing here is a full, clean confession. Not minimizing, not rationalizing, but saying to God, God, I am guilty. I am guilty of sin. I have failed. I have made a mistake. I am guilty. The second part of this would be, would be basically shifting the blame. Uh, and shifting the blame would, would maybe be on circumstances or, or something like that. I, I know for me, uh, my first year of marriage, and Karen and I have been married, I should never bring up the 12 years. Let's say it's 12 years. She's not in here this morning. So it's 12 years. And we've been married 12 years. Well, 
the first year was not a great year of marriage, and she, you know we'd probably each say that, but it was a difficult year of marriage. Each year has gotten better, all right? So we've got a great marriage now, but the first year was not great. And a lot of it, you know, that first time a uh, year, I would always say, oh, she's just too sensitive, right? I mean, I'm sarcastic, but come on, I'm funny, all right? So I, w- I would say these things, and I, I, I would basically really kind of put the blame on her, right? So we'd get in arguments, you know, if she wasn't so sensitive, we'd be fine. That's not a full, clean confession, is it? One thing David realized and understood that, it, hey, it's my fault. This sin has occurred not because of anything else, but because of what I have done. We'll, we'll do this often. We'll blame things on family, right? We, we say, oh, I've got a dysfunctional family. Let me tell you something. I want you to turn to your family you're with here now and just say, we are dysfunctional. Okay, turn to your family, say this, we are dysfunctional. I know all of you, and I know that to be true, okay? So you come from a dysfunctional family, and it is so easy. I always like to blame my dad for everything. He's not here this morning either. But, but it's so easy to blame. I, I was on Facebook this last week, and I saw an individual talking about, you know, basically her relationship with her dad was non-existent. He wanted nothing to do with her. And yet somebody down in the comments commenting saying, oh, yeah, you ought to spend a week with my dad. Right? And we're quick, we're quick to, to say, blame other people. And now I'm not saying that she doesn't have a terrible family situation. I, I know many people do. We come from disfe- uh, dysfunctional families. Okay? We know that to be true. But David, he's not blaming anybody else here. It's this full, clean confession of sin. Not minimizing, not pushing the blame anywhere else but saying, I'm responsible. It is my fault. It's no one else's but me. Okay, And that's one of the first steps that has to take place. We must realize our past. We must realize we all have the capacity to sin. And we must realize, don't blame, don't minimize, don't rationalize a full, clean confession of sin. The second portion on this is that deep heart renunciation of sin. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, first part of Psalm 51.4, it said, Against you and you only have I sinned. Against you and you only have I sinned. A couple things I want to note here. You, why, why does he say that twice? Against you and you only have I sinned. Well, in uh, Semitic languages, the doubling of the subject. So here he's saying, you and you only. When you see the doubling of the subject of that, it means a longing and a passion and a love for the individual being talked about. You and you only have I sinned. You'll see it several times. Uh, David, when he's talking about his son Absalom, says, Absalom, Absalom. He repeats it. Why? Because there's a deep love and longing and passion for his son. The greatest example of this is Jesus on the cross. What does Jesus say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A deep passion, love, and longing for the person they are talking about. See, David here, he's not just confessing his sin, feeling guilty for his sin, but he's telling God and he's showing God really his love, his longing, and his passion for God. He realizes that not only has he wronged, not only has he sinned, but he's broken the heart of God. He understands this, and he realizes it. If you look down uh, in verse 17, 
David says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. He understands this brokenness. He understands the importance of this brokenness. He understands that he has broken the heart of God with his sin. God is expressing, expressing his love. So, so what, is, what is it, you know, you, you only have I sinned? What, what does that mean? You look at it against you only I have sinned? Now, do you think he sinned against Bathsheba? It appeared to me he would, right? I mean, you look, this is a very male-driven society. David is not only is a male, but he's the king. And who is Bathsheba, right, to reject the king? Nowhere in Scripture do we see any blame put on Bathsheba. It's put on David. So did he sin against Bathsheba? Yeah. Well, what about Uriah? Uriah he sent into battle to be killed. Did he sin against Uriah by having him murdered? The correct answer would be yes. Okay, yes. He has been put in place by the nation of Israel to lead the people. Right? He is the king. He's supposed to uphold the law. Has he sinned against the people? Yeah. So what the heck is he talking about here when he says against you, speaking to God, against you and you only have I sinned? Well, it's hyperbole. If it'd be just like, you remember when Jesus says, hey, if you're going to follow me, you have to hate your father and mother. Okay, now some of you dysfunctional families are smiling right now. I saw Caitlin smile for some. <laughs> but Jesus would not tell us to hate our father and mother, right? That's against what Jesus teaches. What he's saying, what he's stating, is that in comparison to your love for God, it should look like you hate your father and mother because you love God so much and because your pursuit of him and his kingdom is so great that in comparison, you look at how you, how you deal with your mom and dad, it doesn't even look like you like him because you love him so much. The same is true, and this is what David is trying to get at. Against you and you only have I sinned. Has he sinned against uh, Uriah? Yes. Against Bathsheba? Yes. Against the nation of Israel? Yes. He has sinned against all these people. But his primary sin, his greatest sin, is not against them, but against God himself. And when we talk about a deep heart renunciation of sin, this is what we must realize. You go, uh, Martin Luther, in talking about the Ten Commandments. Martin Luther, in speaking about the Ten Commandments, he says it really all comes back to the first commandment. That if you have sinned, it's because you've broken the first commandment. No other gods before me. Really, when we sin, it's because we're putting something else as a God before God. Right? And that, that, that's what's happening. And when David says against you and you only have I sinned, this is what we must realize. First and foremost, your greatest sin is not against Bathsheba or Uriah or whoever it might be in your own life. Your greatest sin is not against that person. Your greatest sin is against God himself. And this deep heart renunciation of sin must begin knowing and understanding that our greatest sin is against God. In other words, none of the other sins would have happened if you didn't first sin against God. The real reason and awfulness of what 
of what I need and how I was treated is basically we didn't honor God. We didn't follow God. We put something else before God. And this comes back to what I was talking about early, earlier on. Where, where you'll, you'll see this a lot of times in broken marriages where somebody has screwed up, they failed. And you, you feel remorse, you see remorse. And, and even in studying this week, heard a couple stories uh, about this where, where people have felt and, and they've seen remorse. You know, maybe the wife has left the husband and the husband feels remorse over it. They feel bad about it. You know, they've let down their wife. There's the embarrassment of divorce and all of that. And they feel bad. But there's not this deep heart renunciation of sin. Because it really almost becomes like a, a self-pity. They feel bad for themselves. They feel bad for the situation they're in. Until we have a deep heart renunciation of sin. Until we realize that first and foremost, we have grieved the heart of God. That, yeah, maybe we've, we broke our spouse's heart. Or we broke someone else's heart. Or we've sinned against somebody else. Yes, but until we realize we have trampled the heart of God, it doesn't really matter, these other things. We must first understand, as David finally in Psalm 51 understands, that yes, I have sinned against all these people, but first and foremost, I've trampled the heart of God. I have broken the heart of God. That's where it begins. And for us to understand and have this deep heart renunciation of sin, we must understand we have first trampled and broken the heart of God. I love Psalm 51, 12, one of my favorite verses here. David's speaking, and he realizes what he's done. He realizes sin. He realizes he's broken the heart of God, and he asks God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. What's he want? God, I, I remember that time when I was happy in you, that I found joy in you. And God, now, now I've sinned against you. My heart is broken. I've been crushed. I realize who I am. God, would you restore, would you bring back that joy that I had in your salvation? To, to understand this profession, we need a full, clean confession of sin, a deep heart renunciation. Only when you see how your sin has grieved and broken the heart of God will you change. Will you see real change in your life? So we must understand our past. We must understand our capacity to sin. We must understand that we need a full, clean confession of sin. It's nobody else's fault but my own. And we need a deep heart renunciation of sin. Real change in our life. And here's the key to it all. This last one, and speaking of power. How does it happen? How are we able to do this? In and of ourselves, it can't happen. So how does it happen? Go back to verse 1. Here's what verse 1 says. Verse 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 1 right there, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Unfailing love. The Hebrew word here is kesev. Kesev means, speaking of love, that it's undeserved and it's unconditional. And these two points are huge. Unfailing love. Undeserved and unconditional. If you want to understand how this can happen, you must realize that the love of God is undeserved and it's unconditional. Two points, two things we see, two things that David realized. The first 
is that it humbles us, right? Undeserved. It humbles us to dust. That when we look and we see ourselves compared to a holy, almighty God, we understand our unworthiness. We understand we don't match up. We understand we have failed. We've made mistakes. We do not live up. We are unworthy. Yet, David incredibly also understands the unconditional of lo- love of God. He has great confidence in God that despite the mistakes he's made, despite the wrongs that he's done, that he still has the love of God. There's a great confidence that he has. See, the problem is if, if you just feel unworthy, if you just feel, oh man, I screwed up, oh, I did it again, then we continually just beat ourselves up and we don't truly know this, this deep love of God. If we just have the confidence, then we spend our whole lives, like I was talking about earlier, in this self-pity, right? It's we need, as David did, to understand both. This, this unconditional, undeserved, yet unconditional love of God. David understood it, he realized it, and here's the reality. Da- David had a promise. David could rely on this because he had a promise. We have something greater than this. See, when, uh, when David's baby died shortly after here, if you read the story, shortly after David's baby, Bathsheba's baby, died. Okay, and David at the time, he thought, oh, this, this baby has died because of my sin. And Nathan tells him, no, you know, God has other reasons that unfortunately this baby did not live. But this baby didn't die for your sin. God said, my son Jesus has died for your sin. David comes to him and uh, in this psalm says, cast me not away from your presence. And you know what? God didn't. Instead, God cast his son Jesus away from his presence. See, the reason I can go to God with this great confidence is because of what God has done for me through his son Jesus. The band is going to come back up here and we're going to have an opportunity to remember Jesus, what he's done, in the bread and the juice. But be reminded of this. As David realized he was unworthy, yet there was still this confidence to come to God. And guys, because, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because God did not cast us away, yet instead Jesus on the cross was cast away, we can come to God with great confidence. We can understand this undeserved love and this unconditional love at the same time because of what God has done for us through his son Jesus. This morning, I, I have no idea where you're at on this spectrum, where you are in your life. You, you could be at a place where there is some serious brokenness. Maybe there's been some serious sin in your life. Let, let me tell you, Psalm 51 is really, really the playbook to understand how we can come out the other side whole, from, from being broken to being made whole, to find that forgiveness. Psalm 51 lays it out understanding our past, understanding I have the capacity to sin, yet realizing we need a deep, full, clean confession that it's nobody else's fault but myself, a renunciation of sin, that we don't want to live how we were living just because we feel bad, but we want to quit living that way. We must understand, as David did, 
these things. And then finally, understand where that comes from. It, under, it comes from this, this unconditional and undeserved love that God offers through His Son, Jesus. And as we take the bread and the juice this morning, I want to challenge you to think about where you are on that spectrum. If you need to understand and you, you realize, God, I'm, I'm broken, I'm sinful, and I need to be made whole. Jesus offers this. He offers it. God gave his son Jesus for us. Jesus, on the cross, cast away from the presence of God. So you didn't have to be. That you can come to God in full confidence. For some of us this morning, maybe we know Jesus. We have a relationship with Jesus. But there's sin in our life, and and we're tired of it. We want to get rid of it. Well, here it is. Here is that process. Here is what it looks like. David gives us a great picture of what we are to do to confess our sin, to see the sin no longer rule our life. It's laid out for us right there. My challenge is man, begin to, to read through, begin to pray. You know, if you need to be broken in an area that we'd ask God to break our hearts of our sin. And this morning, may in great confidence, may we come to him, not by our own doing, but because God cast his son away so we were not cast away. Let's pray. God, we we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you for this love that undeserved, unconditional, what an unbelievable thing. God, as we examine our own lives, even before we take the bread and the juice this morning, God, convict us of sin. God, where have we grieved you? Not not our spouse, not our friends, not not our family, but God, where have we grieved you? Where have we broken your heart? Show us, God. Show us how we have broken your heart and then break our heart of it. God, as we think of Jesus, God, we want to worship him because of this great thing he's done. God, we have life because Jesus gave up his. God, we can be in your presence because Jesus was cast away. God, help us to to worship your son, worship you and your son because of that. God, thank you for the bread, your body that was broken, and, and your blood that was spilled in the juice. God, this new covenant we have with you, that we can boldly approach you. Uh, We pray these things and we ask them in the name of Jesus. Amen. here this morning and and you may be in a place where sin is crouching if you remember back to Genesis and and God talking to Cain says Cain sin is crouching at your door it's ready to devour it's ready to pounce There, there may be things in your life you need to get control of you need to get a handle on I think this is a great great Psalm 51 great psalm of confession, a great psalm of, God, I'm broken, I've sinned against you, God, it's nobody else's fault but my own. I need help. And if you're that way, this this is what you need. David's words in Psalm 51, this great prayer. 
for us that understand His grace, understand how unconditional and undeserved love this is, my, my challenge and our challenge every week as we walk out of here, other people need to know this, don't they? How they can be, take a, a broken life and be made whole. How they can be lost and yet become found. How they, how they can be separated from God and yet be in a relationship with God. People need this. You know, our, our mission statement here is leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. That's what we want to be about. We want people to understand, you know, if you've been in a place like David was, there's hope. You, you can be put back together. You can be made whole only by the work of Jesus. You can find that. Nick's been talking about occupying the street that we would take this message to our literal streets to have an impact. One, one thing I would challenge you with, even today, as we want to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, now here's a great way to do it. Go out, shovel your neighbor's driveway, if you're capable of doing that. And that'd be a great practical way to show the love of Jesus as we look to do those type of things. And do that. If you're capable of doing that this afternoon, go out and do it. Okay, but find ways in which we can occupy our street, as Nick talks about, as we can be the hands and feet, as we can lead people everywhere to this devoted relationship with Jesus. They need to understand that what David understood, that he could find forgiveness, that he could find new life, that he could be made whole. We want people to understand that hopefully that we have found that in our own life. God has taken what was broken, what was lost, and he has made it whole, and we have been found. What an awesome thing, isn't it? Let's pray together, and we'll sing one more song as we leave. God, we thank you for Jesus. Through him, that which was broken can be made whole. That, that which was lost can be found. God, help us to be bold in our faith. Help us to share what we have experienced in our own life with a dying and a broken world that they too could experience it. We ask it and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.